If nobody turned that one steer the four times you ran that night, you didn't get a turn in. You just didn't get to row. <laughs> Who in the heck loans you $30,000 to go rodeo? What are you talking about? We get done. We're like, this sucks. We're still going to do it. I, I can't stand it. So I just go up to him and I, I am like, is there something wrong with your brain? So we're officially hey, going. Unoffendable. You know, yeah, that that is our that really is our man. The name of the podcast is the Flatbed Podcast, and the reason it's for that is <laughs> Flatbed is like not happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> we are, as always, brought to you by Classic Ropes and Equinity Products. We try not to ask for a lot, but to be honest, the rate and review on these podcasts make a giant difference. You hear it all the time, rate and review. It really does help us be found by more people. We're loving it. We're loving the processes. We're loving the conversations that we're getting to have, and it would be a huge help to us if you could help us continue that by clicking on the rate and review when you open the Flatbed Podcast. It is a new day at the Flatbed Podcast. Let me tell you what I'm doing to tell you how it affects you. We are going into basically our second season. We're not calling it a season because I don't even know why you would do that. I mean, we're into our second year. That's all that means. We're adding a subscription option. What that means is not you have to pay to listen to every episode, but what we're doing is we're recording bonus content for every episode. With every guest, we're asking stupid questions. We're going completely off script. We're just going according to what we think would be funny. Um, it's just bonus content. And what I what I found is you get a little a little better look into the person that's on the on the podcast instead of being stiff or formal. Um, we start off with bonus content. We ask stupid questions. You get the like the live reaction. We've said it's like an ink blot test, right? You just say whatever comes to mind first. I personally have enjoyed it. I've I've loved the bonus content because, like I said, you get to see a different side of whoever's in uh, the studio. Uh, for the month, it's five bucks for the month for the entire month, which comes out to about like a dollar, a little like a dollar twenty-five per episode. So less than a Dr. Pepper, you get to listen to all the bonus content. You can click on it and add. Now, here's what this does. By helping fund a little bit of what we're doing, it allows some travel to places that we would like to go. Um, I was watching YouTube last night about the bullfights, and I was like, man, how cool would it be if we could go to Spain someday and talk to the people that run the bullfighting rings, right? Like, go talk to the people that own the horses that are part of that. Like, And I'm only using that as an example. We're not trying to fund a trip to Spain, but... Uh, you know, I would, I would love the option to financially be able to go to the places where things are happening that are interesting outside of maybe just only team roping in Arizona. I know we made a trip to Texas, so... Um, we're adding the subscription site, but the truth is, honestly, even if it was doing nothing but funding my rock star recovery bill every month, um, it, the, the, the content has been fun. It's been a blast. So like I said, $1.25 an episode is what you're, what you're investing. It is super easy. Um, and we haven't had, we haven't had one bonus segment yet that hasn't made everybody laugh. It's been fun. We've enjoyed it. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to release three free bonus episodes this week, give you an idea. Um, we're going to release three of them this week. You can take a look at them, see what you think. But then also after that, it'll be one per episode. We haven't recorded any podcast without also including bonus episodes. So, um, I would encourage you to check it out. It's fun. Um, I, I really do enjoy it. It's something I've actually, it's been a, it's been an addition to the podcast that I've enjoyed. So check it out. The Flatbed Podcast is brought to you by, um, we say companies, we say sponsors, but reality, it's brought to you by other people. In the same way that you're sitting here listening to this podcast, there are other people who are investing into this process financially that are bringing this to you so that you can listen to it for free. I love that there are people running companies that have the same shared values that we have in this industry. So when we talk to you about the people that are bringing you this podcast, please understand we're talking about a company, but really what we're talking about is the people. So part of what I do um, with the podcast is I answer a lot of social media questions or text messages from people asking questions about the products that we stand behind or that stand behind us. Um, I don't know what I can say about Equinity that hasn't already been said. 
Um, but one of the questions I get is like, okay, all right, but like for real, but actually, you know, what, what, what's it actually do? And here's, here's my answer. It is the thing that you pour into your overall program with what you're feeding, the exercise, the worming, the things that you're already doing. And equinity is the thing that goes in and fills the cracks using a natural program that the horse is already equipped with. The pituitary gland is sort of like the gauge system or the gauge program within the horse's body that tells it when it needs what it needs. And this goes in and benefits that better, better joint health, uh, amino acid in the muscles, things like that. You get a calmer horse that's more willing to go to work. Um, you can check them out at teamequinity.com, teamequinity.com. And like I said, we spend all this time and all this effort on our horse and equinity is the thing at an affordable price point, by the way, that you can put through your horse's system that fills in all the cracks and you end up with a better, well-rounded animal to go do what you need to do. So check them out, teamequinity.com. Steve Decker, Kyle Weaver. Uh, for you guys that don't know, my father is actually deeply connected with Rocky Mountain. No, I'm just kidding. We <laughs> met Kyle yesterday, uh, yeah. same last name. Normally, when we start these podcasts, we do a bonus episode with just a list of stupid questions. And if I'm being honest, I'm too intimidated to do something that dumb before we get started with you guys. We so we're just going to go. Answers. We're yeah. just going to go. Yeah, we, we can go right <laughs> to stupid answers. That's fine. But we'll just get the stupid questions. Yeah. You guys are with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And it's interesting to me because you hear that name everywhere. This is something that has just gone uh, just like stupid viral. And would you say would you say that you guys have noticed in the last 10 years or is it just my awareness to it? Yeah, I think the last 10 years has, it's grown and grown and grown within, certainly within rodeo and Western lifestyle. Right. And so before that, was it was it this popular everywhere else? And this has just been your introduction to the Western industry? No, this, no. I would say Western lifestyle is really a core. It's rural America, really. Right. It's our membership. Um, where we exist as an organization. It was a natural alignment for us. We really started with a, a 10 by 10 booth inside a Cowboy Christmas inside of somebody else's booth as our beginning can into- you, Can you say whose who's booth it was? Uh, Roper Stetson. Sweet. So it was almost an offshoot. ish Yeah. Wow. And you guys, uh, Kyle, you were saying you guys, the actual foundation didn't launch until 1984. 84. So 40th anniversary is coming up. Which so is still you, brand new, right? Yeah. When you look at, you know, the sister groups, as we would call it, the DUs, Ducks Unlimited, Turkey Federation, we're the youngest by far. Are you guys all friends? Are all the foundation's yeah, friends or is it pretty siloed? No, it's, uh, everyone has their unique demographics and then there's a crossover of some level. Yeah. Um, mission wise, every, we align on a lot of things, but then when you, when you're serving your demographic, there's things where you don't always align. You're gonna be so, a, you're gonna be a little busier, obviously, doing your thing. Also, it's not like it. You yeah. can't make their uh, their involvement and your involvement your main priority, obviously. But um, is there any like insider baseball behind the scenes where something you guys are doing is working, and you might make an off the record phone call of something you've learned that would help them? And there's some. I mean, we, so we do have some MOUs with with a couple partners, but. MOU being like a, a memorandum of understanding, right? right? So partnership, partnership. Yeah, right. uh, we just signed a new one the other day with Rough Grouse, right? You wouldn't really think, like with Rough Grouse. How would the Elk Foundation with this bird? But the landscape in the Eastern world where we're doing this, where we have elk in the East, and where the where the Rough Grouse are struggling in that forest, a lot of crossover. Same, it's the same forest, same sure. landscape with the same stuff. So that's an example of where that happens. And then from a advocacy lobbying standpoint, once when there's attack on things that are against our lifestyle that we talk about, that's where not everybody just like hunting, holds right? hands together and moves yeah, forward. Yeah, all that. That's yeah. where it happens. But then there's some that are very unique to, 
you know, part of Steve's job, my job sometimes is serving that demographic. Right. Right. So we how did a very you broad demographic? How did you guys find your way to this table? Uh, what previous previous life? What was your involvement in the world before you found your way here? We'll start with we'll start with Kyle. Yeah, me. So I this would be my twenty eighth year in the industry, going on twenty nine years in this outdoors industry. Spent twenty two years with uh, National Rifle Association, running program side, fundraising side. Um, all of our educational programs, those type of things, and rose up through that. This might sound like a stupid question, but is that a safe job? Because I know that's like a hot button organization. Is it, it wasn't at the end. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, no, seriously, it yeah, feels yeah. like. No, there was a lot of on myself and, and the other officers, especially Wayne and Chris, and yeah, it was a lot of death threats and things, and unfortunately, all these shootings that were going on and so forth. But that was the other side that I was in charge of all the educational safety sure. training programs right. that no one ever heard about. You well, know, that's, that, and that's what, that's what the world needs. If there yeah, are guns, yeah. the world does need safety yeah. training. The world. And so I've, I've been gone there seven years now. Was it one of those? Seven years. Have you, have you ever heard this, the joke about the monkey kissing the skunk? Said I, said I didn't so. get all I wanted, but I had all I could take. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you oh, feel yeah. like that was kind of where you were? Yeah, three or four times. <laughs> yeah, just felt like but, I can't, I can't, like well, just I, all I, you I grew take. up hunting, right? I was an outdoors. I wasn't a politician and, and just kind of fell into that mm-hmm. job a little bit, but knew knew what it was and enjoyed what we fought for. Right. And that's, you know, kind of where Steve and I got to know each other, what he was doing at the Elk Foundation and what I was running at the NRA and the NRA Foundation site was similar. So now that job set me up for this job. It's the did same it, business model. Per did se. it feel like it got you out of the political riffraff back to the roots of where you wanted to be in the beginning? Yeah, and, and honestly, I never was heavy in the politics there. I ran the other side of it. But yeah. if you're there, that's you're, yeah, knew. guilt by association. But it really teed up for this. You know, they're that part of the organization is very well aligned. Crazy stat that happens at our our world now is uh, we have a thing called Trail Society where people leave money in their will or leave everything they own to the Elk Foundation when they pass away. Very high coincidence of half of the money's to us, half of it's dinner A. So it's a very similar demographic. Yeah, interesting. Because of what the the position stood for. Now the NRA sure. you know, in a different path and a lot of things going on there. Um, but very well, but- similar in in um, just the reputation of, of delivering on what you say you're gonna do. Before the NRA where, what did you do? Like, what was what was it that led you to be involved in the, even in this line of work? Is is my second job out of college? Really? Like, yeah, I was in the banking industry, right, for a little bit. Played Steve some, Kyle kind of looks like a banker. Like, yeah, if you meet exactly. him in person, yeah. you're like, yeah. that guy is going to tell me no on I this. I wish loan. I had those hours. The banking you are hours not would wrong. Be great. But no, I mean, I, you know, I came out of college and, and played some ball and stuff, and then got into wait, the work. Wait, 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 wait! You just skipped over an important detail. What kind of ball? I just baseball. I was a baseball player. And, Where? And messed around with that. Back in Virginia, I played college ball there, and decided not to chase the, you know, the, the whole professional. So thing. you're one of those super annoying people that not only were you an athlete and a stud, and now you're <laughs> smart, and now you're in a corporate position. You're one of those guys. I think I'm lucky, is what I call it. But that's yeah. what people like you yeah, always say. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it, we always talk about it. Our, our four, what I would say, leaders in our at work, all college athletes. Yeah. Right. There's there is something to Truly, the leadership you, you, side. There's of that. something to the discipline. Yeah. That it takes to get good at anything. I don't care yeah, what it is. If it, you yeah. will discipline yourself to get good at something, just yeah. as a young guy, you got time. Yeah. Get good at something because it sets a precedence of what it's going to take to get good at something else later, and you don't just blindly bounce around. Yeah. You know. No. You, you, well, you get, you, and you and I talked about faith a little bit the other day too, yeah. right? And it's like. Everything I did led me to this job, which is yeah. this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like a culmination. It prepared of all me the... for 
and Steve, you know, we could tell some funny stories about getting into this job, but, um, you know, one of my worries when I took this job over was from an outside reputation standpoint, this organization had it. It was, it was the top of the chart. Yeah. Yeah. But organ- internally, we, we needed a lot of change and growth, and, which is kind of my strength. So timing, sure. right place, right time has is, is been perfect. There's a real quick, and I don't mean to derail the conversation, but there's a, pro- a progression in psychology they talk about with children when you're born. The first phase we enter into is mimicking. You're like, if my little boy, yeah. if he watched a Superman movie, what's he going to go do? He's going to go get a towel and make a cape, yeah. right? Yeah. And I've talked about this actually on this podcast quite a bit. So if you've heard it before, sorry. Um, the second one is persona. And that's when we move out of mimicking into who we would like to be or who we would project the world, you know. And the problem is most of the world sees who we really are before we do. And so when we're yeah. projecting yeah. a persona, it's like we're, tr- we're it's, it's this cosmic lie that we're trying to get people to believe. And we can't figure out where to get involved or where not to get involved. And, and when you get stuck in that season of persona, you're almost never in the right place because who you wish you were and who you are doesn't align. Yeah. Most people get stuck there. But the third yeah. one is identity. And the joy that comes with identity is this self-realized moment of this is who I am. This is what I'm not. So that when offers come along, like what you're saying, I, I'm, only, yeah. I'm saying I'll say this. Yeah. If you have a pretty good idea of your identity and a job comes along that aligns to that identity, there's a deeper gratitude. Because if sure. you're in persona, yeah. you're like, I can do anything all the time every day. And you don't realize how out of out of pocket you are. So when you say what you said, that's a meaningful thing to me because you go, I knew who I was. I saw this opportunity and I knew how to apply my identity to my role versus I need to get my identity from my role. For sure. Yeah. I remember in the interview with the board, the last thing I told them was, this is a job I've worked all my life for. Yeah. Up to this job. I mean, it really was when, when it laid out. and That puzzle piece that just clicked yeah, perfectly. It, just, it, it happened for all kinds of reasons, you know, not just me personally, but, um, and, you know, and, and Steve and I kind of got to know each other pre all that for probably 10 years taking over. Yeah. So you're going into, there's some camaraderie yeah. when you yeah. get there. Yeah. Steve in a previous life. I don't know that I had a previous <laughs> life. <laughs> um, well, I guess I'll start with I was kind of born into it. Um, okay. My father's one of the four founders of the Elk Foundation, so I was 14. What was his name? Charlie Decker. Um, he was just here last weekend as part of our board meetings. Um, is, I guess, kind of the patriarch of the organization. So when I was 14, I learned that the Elk Foundation had been started in 1984, dating myself a little bit there. Yeah. Um, in college, I went to the University of Montana. We moved from Troy, Montana, where Libby and Troy, where it all started. I got offices in Missoula, 1988-89. Um, I had gone to North Idaho, wrestled in college, and figured that I wasn't smart enough to do both, so I focused on the education part. I know I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. Right. You said you were a banker. I'm like, you look like a banker. You said you're a wrestler. I'm like, you look like a wrestler. I could have almost guessed the yeah. answers on both yeah, of these. I kind of doubled yeah. up, son of yeah. a Jippo logger that wrestled, so uh, they wouldn't put me at the bank. I know that. Um, but so when I was going to For those of you guys who don't know about Bale's hay, let me just tell you, it has changed the way that I feed alfalfa. I feed so much less hay. Um, part of that's with my partnership with Unbeatable, which by the way, check them out also, but I feed less of it because it's so dense. It's such high quality stuff. It flakes off in like little bitty flakes. It's the, I, I've joked every single commercial. It feels like something you would eat yourself. It just has that deep, rich smell. It's very leafy, great, great quality stuff. But they also have a storefront there in Buckeye. Um, you can check it out. It's down there on, uh, I, on Highway 85 uh, in Buckeye. 
They're now an ADM Mormons feed dealer, which means not only can you go get the best hay in Arizona, you can also get all types of feed for and hay for all kinds of animals. Uh, the Mormons, you can check it out, the Mormons feed, all the things that they bring. So not only is it the best hay, not only can they deliver, not only is the best quality hay I've ever fed, you can also go check them out at their storefront in Buckeye and pick up Mormons feed, kind of a one-stop shop thing. Check them out, baleshay.com. The update that has cost me almost the sanity of my brain, almost the function of my phone, and has taken so much time away from my day. That sounds negative, but it isn't. Everybody wants to know, how's the Pro Series lights? I got them in. Andy, on his way back from Vegas, stopped and installed them up here at the arena. You guys, these Pro Series lights from Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. Holy cow. They live up to the hype. We roped the other night until about uh, maybe about 1 o'clock. And we get done and we realize I was talking to my buddies because we still have some of the thousand watts uh, supplementing the few that they brought out. And we get done and I go, hey, we never turn the thousand watt lights up. We roped the entire time with our thousand watt lights on dim because the Pro Series lights are doing such a good job. Uh, if you've waited, if you've been kind of kicking around, I don't know, solar, maybe, I don't know. I will post pictures also, but the update is this. They are amazing. You will not be disappointed. Check them out. Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. You want to hear the coolest story coming out of Wickenburg this winter? Because I've got it. The 1017 Project, uh, the Flatbed Podcast, Downtown Arena, Rancho Rio, Roper Nation, and the town of Wickenburg are all partnering. You heard me right. All of those, all of those entities are partnering to put food in the food bank through the team ropings. So what we're doing is we've started the We Heart Wickenburg series this winter. Uh, all the podcast sponsors, I've got boxes from Aquinity, I've got boxes from Cinch, I've got boxes from Equibrand. Uh, Ranch Hand Solar Lighting has donated a set of arena lights. Unbeatable Feed has an entire truckload of feed that they have donated to the We Heart Wickenburg series. The first one's going to be November 10th. And what we're going to do is we're going to use the money raised at those events to put hamburger into the food banks here in Wickenburg. Uh, Christy Henson has an entire team of people assembled um, to distribute the, make sure that, hey, listen, listen to this number. They said that 70% of the kids in the Wickenburg school district are on food assistance, which means we have got this tremendous food insecurity uh, situation in the heart of the team rope and capital of the world. And so everybody's coming together. We're partnering to eradicate that. Shout out to the 1017 Project for the work that they're doing, helping organize it, the sponsors, the arenas, the producers. Coolest story ever. And you go, how can I get involved? November 10th is the first one. We're going to give out tons of little trinkets and prizes and things like that. It's going to be at Downtown Arena. Shout out Mike and Karen Fuller. Anyway, cool story coming out of Wickenburg. Be a part of it. It's just a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a feel-good thing, and it actually is making a difference. The ropings will still have the regular payout. If you win the rope and you still win the money, the fundraiser is what is uh, what is made that day will go to put hamburger in the food bank. So you don't have to enter the rope and then donate everything you win or anything like that. It's still just a regular team roping. <laughs> um, but so when I was going to school, I worked at, in the visitor center. When I wasn't in class, I would go uh, work at our visitor center out on Broadway, put myself through school that way. And I, after college, I left for four years, um, actually sold real estate in Kalispell, Montana. Uh, which was good, but there was something that I just missed about the Elk Foundation. Was real quick, just I want to make sure I'm getting the, the concept because yes, as a teenager, you don't know where you're going to land anyway. Right. Life is very delicate, but yeah. the Elk Foundation, being that young, it was probably going through its own little growth oh. learning curves. It wasn't like it was this established, I'm going to do that. If I'm guessing, you tell me if I'm right, it was probably still going through its delicate getting its feet on the ground phase 100%. also. 100%. So like, it wasn't like that was just an obvious career path. 
not at all. We didn't know until probably the early 90s that it was even going to last. Like yeah. it, it struggled for identity. There were some key things that happened from projects and others that really brought legitimacy to it. And, you know, by the early 90s, it was it was going to be something, uh, but certainly not something I was sitting in high school or even in college saying, yeah, that's my career. That'll be my entire adult life is going right. to be serving an organization like that. And when I came back, I actually had an opportunity to go to work in Canada. So I had to go through. We had a, an open field staff position up there. So I went through. I got a work permit. Well, I went up there for a couple of years, covered Saskatchewan, Manitoba, came back to South Dakota, uh, covered that and then back into Montana and ended doing up doing what so, uh, so we have uh, a grassroots system of chapters all over the United States and at that time we had Canada as well um, we have regional directors that have geographic areas of responsibility that take care of those volunteers and those fundraising activities sure so that's what I was tasked with at that time I did that for about eight nine years um, in those various locations um, then I just kind of graduated up through the organization to the position I'm in now. But Do you think that it was an advantage having to leave and then come back? Because I do. you almost burn out, right? You grow up in it. If you never leave and come back, there's no world perspective. There's right. no way to really appreciate it until you see like the death of something in your life and then the reintroduction of it again. Right. Without, If I hadn't left, I would probably be gone by now because yeah. there was something that drew me back. In the days that I get frustrated like we all do in life and work, I think to that short period of time in my life when I wasn't a part of it, yeah, that's a draw how that from. felt. Yeah. And I prefer dealing with any challenge I have with it than being on the outside. Yeah. Um, I know it would try to draw me back anyway. So, Well, that's the, that's the story of the prodigal son. I mean, there's obviously a lot of spiritual elements yep. to that also, but there's a lot to that story that says, go see what it is. Yep. Because sometimes what you see gives you that appreciation that goes, even if this is tough, I'm choosing this as my heart because I've seen what else it could be and you right. know, this is home. That's right. Sure. At what point... In this process, I have a question. I'm not sure if I can conceptualize. I have an idea, but let me see if I can okay. get to it. The Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation really, in essence, is a business, and you're working with conservation, not preservation. I want to get to that right. in a minute. Yep. Um, of all the things that you guys are doing, at the end of the day, you've got this mascot at the heart of it, this elk that has become, since Joe Rogan started elk hunting, maybe, like it's become this larger-than-life figure of Americana. Did you feel like that when you guys started that – that was you were losing that and that needed to be brought back was it about the land how much is the actual bull elk standing on the side of a mountain how much of that animal is at the center of what you guys do you know if you go back to the actual founding and the reason behind it and as kyle referenced we're younger than some of the others it was there was almost an awakening to the fact that there was an entity dedicated to turkeys there was an entity dedicated to ducks pheasants all these variety of species and growing up where we did and knowing what elk were and what they meant they are an iconic really majestic piece of landscapes especially at that time in the rocky mountains that was really the initial concept was nobody's doing anything for elk let's do that and you know elk habitat there were habitat issues development other things that impacted the numbers of elk, um, there's a heck of a lot more elk today because I think of the work that we've done over the last 40 years. There's elk in places they were absent for hundreds of years in the east because of the work we've done in our partners. So there was a need for it, but, I mean, it was almost like, man, we got lucky. We got elk. Yeah. You know, if you drew cards out of a hat to represent a species, Couldn't agree elk more. would be the winner. Could not agree more. I think you guys have got to experience this more than I have, but what little elk hunting I've been a part of, when you approach that, 
animal, it's a, there's a feeling associated with it. And no yeah. other, it, like nothing else I've ever been a part of, that when you walk up to that animal, the size of it, because yeah. you've already known it can go to the top of the mountain and be gone in a second. They've got these big giant herds of them. And like you're kind of familiar with the animal, but the actual in-person encounter, they're so big. There's so much to them. It's, it, they've got a, I don't say mystical presence. That sounds stupid, but they, yeah. there's something about that animal that is so connected to the heart of the wild version of America. Right. For sure. I mean, it's, you know, they, they, majestic is the word that's used a lot when you talk about elk and, it's weird as a guy to say the word majestic, right. but it yeah. kind of like it's been it's been sort of hijacked. But the actual meaning of the original yeah. word that's that's it. It's kind of what it is, and you know when you do, if you do get out and you're lucky enough to take one and you walk up on them, it's the biggest thing you ever get that close to. Yeah, it really is. And so people are always you're over, overwhelmed by that. But you can you know if you're hunting in, in the in the early fall, right? You're actually communicating. You're talking like you would with a turkey. Yeah, it's interactive. It just, you don't do that with deer. You don't do that with moose as much. You know, this loud thing at you. It's just different. Do you, you remember know? the first time you heard an elk in yeah, person? Yeah, I was late to elk hunting. I mean, growing up in the East, right? Sure. I mean, we, I, I think my first elk was, trying to remember, it had been early 2000s probably, something like that, first time I got to go. And Can't that describe was a, it. That was a... November-ish type hunt, so bugling was kind of done. And then I think I was out fishing. I was like in Yellowstone, humming through, and I, I could still picture it. Right, I could see it. We it's late, and this this bull's pushing pushing his cows across, and he stops in the road, looks at, him, just bugled right at us. And I was like, "Oh my lord!" You feel like you're on a new planet. Like when oh, you yeah. think about downtown yeah. New York City or where we are in Las Vegas and all that goes on, that moment feels like it's not even the same planet sort of an experience. Yeah, I, I can still see it happening in front of me. Yeah. Like Steve said, you know, he grew up around it. No big deal. You know, they heard Elk Bugle all the time, though. That, I don't know sound. that I remember the first one, but I know it's been a part of my life literally since before I could hunt was a little kid. Would go hunting with my father and my brothers. But the last one I heard was as impressive yeah. as the first yeah. one I could yeah. remember. It doesn't weaken. No, in any way, shape, or form. Like I, it, If there's anything on this planet with a bow in your hand, a bullet 20 yards screaming his guts out, well, if that doesn't move you, I don't know if you have a pulse. Well, how? But, did, but back to what you said, though, you know, is it at the center of what we, what we do? You know, for a long time it was. And, and I say this a lot. I think now it's more the result. You know, it, it, it's not yeah, the elk everything, is the result. right? It, the, the mission and the organization, the people, Yeah, this has become more than just elk. Yeah. It, that, that is the pinnacle of the result is that elk. But the, the trickle-down effect of the work, the trickle-down effect of this, this thing that's at the top of the food chain a little bit from a habitat sure. standpoint, as Steve said, it's this huge, big animal and its habitat's as delicate as a butterfly, right? I mean, how specific it has to be. And so it's becoming more and more the result. It's still about people. It really is. Well, that's when you say that, it gives some perspective of if the elk is the result, I'm using air quotes, the result, yeah. that's, a, that's a giant result given how hard that result is to come by. Yeah. And the work and the, the conservation, back to that word again, like that's, that's a mountain of procedure yeah. to produce that Absolutely. outcome. And, and that success has happened. I mean, there's more elk. Over a million elk now, 28 states, 29, I always forget which one it is that they're back into now, hunting and almost all these. So a lot of that initial reason of the, sure. the organization starting, we've accomplished. So now it's like, what's next, right? And now 
the big issue is being able to hunt them. Okay, so that's where <laughs> I want to go with this. Yep. So you joined, you guys have been friends for 10 years. Do you guys, did you guys have a moment where you shook hands and you're like, let's do this? Like that moment of initiation where you're like, I'm in, let's <laughs> go. I mean, did I, you, did you the hit? Stories, the story's not quite like that, but you know, we all go to trade shows. So I'd left NRA. I was probably a year of just kind of figuring out what I'm going to do with my life. And, uh, and Steve and I had been talking on and off and I ran into him at ATA, which is Archery Trade Association. I was there to give a speech or something. I don't remember why I was there. And he bumped into him and Brandy that I both known for a long time. And he says, hey, that job, CEO job's coming out. You should apply. And they had uh, put in an interim. And David Allen, who's the, the former before me, who is the beginning of this next phase of success of leadership for us, um, I told Steve, like, you know, David's a good friend. I don't know all the politics that went on. I'm like, I kind of feel bad. Like, am I stabbing him in the back? And it was like within an hour, my phone rang, and it was David saying, Steve had already no called way. him. Said, I said, called David yeah. immediately. And said, like, I'm going to need, need a haze. I've seen the steer wrestling. I need you to be a guy on the right side of the yeah. steer. Just help you need get... to apply, right, for this job. And I said, like, I don't know. And I, I, we, I was telling this story to somebody the other day. I went home and just kind of really thought about it. And I was looking at a few other jobs. And I told my wife, I said, I made my mind up. I'm going to I'm gonna put in for that Elk Foundation job. And she's like, that's great. I ain't moving to Montana, but you go ahead, you know. <laughs> And then fast forward to the day, my kids are there. She's there. You couldn't drag her out of yeah. there. She had to move out. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's anything, though. That when you get ready to give up something, all you can see is what you're losing. That's but right. before you see what you're gaining, right. that's a common rat. Yeah. I get yeah. That's not that's unfair. That's human nature. Yeah, right? that's, that's yeah. human nature yeah. to go, yeah. because I don't, I can't. I hate having to admit when I'm stupid, but I'm stupid. I had no idea. Listen to this. I had no idea what a pole barn was. I thought I did. And maybe you think you do. You know, I thought of it as this big shed with wood structure and, and you know, maybe the tin goes halfway down or, you know, just just sort of a, something you'd see a tractor or a four-wheeler park below under with a stack of hay. But I grew up in Texas, and so you don't build anything out of wood. Everything's pipe. So um, when I met Dan Scarborough, he said he was building pole buildings instantly. Instantly, this is the stupid part. I'm like, oh, a guy who throws up some little sheds. Go to, do me a favor, You go see how stupid I am. Go to roperbuildings.com and check out the gallery of what a pole barn actually is. This can be anything from a barn dominium. It can be a shed, but it can be a horse barn. It can be anything that you want to protect from the elements and no wood exposed to the sun. So, you know, my question was, what about here in Arizona? There were so many questions I had no clue. I had no clue what they were capable of. And Roper Buildings is not, no, I hope this is okay to say, Dan. It's not some mom and pop thing. Like this is one of the most premier building companies in the Western um, United States and has been for over two decades. You can check them out. Not only are they in central and southern Utah, they're in northern Utah, Idaho, Nevada, and now coming to Arizona. Uh, Dustin Searcy, who you met on the podcast, is going to be helping run things down here under, under Dan. Wait until you see what's possible. They are engineered. They can be customized any way that you want it. You can build it the way that you want it. And you're dealing with people who have had decades of success in getting this right. So roperbuildings.com, check them out. And while you're there, check on the gallery and look at all that they're able to do. You guys, times are changing. We have got technology available to you. When you get to Arizona, you can find your roping. You can find the date. You can find the location. You can even search the website by what jackpot number team roping you're looking for. Ropingcalendar.com. It is a subscription base. You go, oh, well, so is the magazine, dude. Like, you can buy a magazine or you can buy the website. So it's not like there's a free option anymore. 
RopeEncounter.com, the difference being you can look for only what you want to find instead of looking through all the other ads that you didn't want to find. So if you think about it, if your time's worth anything, we're paying you back. So check it out, RopeEncounter.com. That's human nature to go, because I I can't see what I'm getting, I'm not really in a hurry to give up what I got. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah, but but that's that's literally how it happened. Yeah, and, and I you know talking to the board, it was I think they had 120 applicants for the job. It was there was a lot of people that wanted this job. So blessed to be the one that got it. Right. I mean, so if I were to take a job, the first thing I'd want to know is what is the what is the the thin spots? What's the deficit? And does my ability match yeah. the ability to rectify the deficit? And so. When you looked at what they were looking for, were you guys pretty clear on what you needed out of Kyle? Yeah. Do you remember yeah, what it staff, was? Yeah, the other leadership like Steve and, and Shane and some of our other, they, they, you know, they'd been there. They knew the years. They knew exactly what was needed to get. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you, what did yeah. you see in Kyle that matched what you guys needed? Um, as Kyle said, like when you looked at the Elk Foundation at the time from the outside, uh, we were doing great things. We were growing. We were financially stable. All the things, our mission outputs were great. But we, our internal operation was thin. And, I mean, we were growing at a rate that we could have, I always said, just imploded upon ourselves. We hadn't built the internal systems, the processes, the discipline. All I of get the that. Real, it it felt like it felt, felt like a whole city built out of paper. Right, yeah. 100%. And, um, you know, David did an awesome job for us growing the organization, improving our marketing, our, our membership, all those pieces that were, and even our mission delivery stuff. What I knew from Kyle, Kyle and I, again, he had been on the NRA side. I was in a similar position on RMF side for over a decade, I think, leading into that. We'd, we'd call each other regularly on his challenges, my challenges. I knew what he would bring to the table from really shoring up the operation and stabilizing the organization as a whole. And, you know, it, we've had many divine interventions for the organization over the years. Kyle was one of them. David has been one of them. There were things previous to that where we just simply weren't going to make it. But somebody stepped up and stepped into the role or a various role over time that um, just made the organization successful. So, Okay. In previous life with employees and leadership and all the leadership training that I got force fed as I resisted, one of the things they talk about in you know coming in from an outside organization is um, that culture when you boil culture down all that it is a group of people that say we think this is important mm-hmm. we think this is not important yeah but if you don't establish that you can't ever create community because culture is like the container that holds what will become the community does that make sense yeah so when you come in from the outside uh, there was two things I always tried to to avoid the Peter principle which is someone in the organization has been uh, promoted to their highest level of incompetence. I'm right. sure you guys know about this, but for people that don't, yep. you have a janitor, it's a great guy, really good dude, shows up early, stays late, great guy. Well, because you like him, there's a job opening. You'll promote him without asking if he has the skills to get there. Inevitably, you're going to walk into that situation somewhere and you have to identify it and rectify it and run the risk of being immediately the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Second of all is that when someone resists the culture that says, you guys say this is important, but I say that this is important, that becomes cancerous in the organization. So when you walk into something that's going to need some upkeep, how do you avoid walking in and instantly being the villain? Because sometimes the lean outer on the culture is a very well-liked person. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, you nailed it. It, it, it. With the board, I remember them. It, it, it's kind of like, hey, we want all this change, but, man, we got a great culture. Don't mess it up, right? 
and you, it's a little bit of proven like there's some great things culturally here and there's some great really bad things here too and so there were some immediate changes made and very obvious areas of some high up people. Did you have instant buy-in from people to do that? Yeah, the board was there. A lot of staff was there. Um, I took. I don't rush it. You know, I remember Steve and I talking. I said, "Man, you give everybody every opportunity." I go, "Yeah," because then when we make the decisions, we make. That's right. We sleep at night, right? Yeah. But, but we do. I measure three I have times. a really good memory, and and that saves me a, a, a lot of times because I just don't forget stuff. So right. when other people do forget it, I don't. And it, right. it, it works in my benefit a lot of times managing out of right. these things. But at the same time, we had some people that were overpromoted that were willing to say, I just want to be on team. Tell me what you need me yeah, to do. Yeah, let me do. go back to my area yeah. of, of high contribution. Absolutely. We had several that were willing to That's do so that. That's so rare. That is so and, rare. And found a few gyms that were hiding in the closet yeah. that have escalated their ways up. You know, Steve's roles changed multiple times in that process. Um, well, hold on real quick. Yeah. How? Taking on more. <laughs> See, listen, we yeah. know you were born in this organization, but yeah. we're going to need you to yeah. start playing. Exactly. Now I, you got to do that. I have yeah. unique yeah. experience. I mean, I've just yeah. worked really pretty much every part of the organization over a career. What an asset. So, you know, I know where the bodies are buried. I know the good, bad, and indifferent. I've known the culture. I've seen multiple cultural evolutions for us. Um, I'm not that bright, but I do have at least a lot of experience in the organization. There's a lot of good stuff, which was one of the saving things. It wasn't, like Steve said, it wasn't that we weren't performing. From a measurement standpoint, from the outside looking, and we were hitting it. But internally, yeah. you had to peel everything back Can you, and look, you know, look inside. I hope we're not getting too far in the weeds, but just my own curiosity. Yeah. What were some cultural no-gos for you? Like your own personal ethos that yeah, you walk Steve, in and go Steve to me. about it early. First, the first biggest thing was um, just accountability. There really was no accountability to things, no no proper measurement, accountability, discipline, and then the policy procedure. It, manuals hadn't been updated for ten years. They they weren't even valid. Everybody was just there because they yeah. loved the organization. And luckily, people did their jobs. Sure. But when they didn't, what do you do? Right. These guys hear me all the time. We don't manage people. We manage policy and procedure. Justin right. did you, or Jordan, did you do your job or not? Right. No, I don't like you. I don't care if you like me or not. What does it say right here? So getting that level of back into the in, in, into that culture, and we had a lot of tenure. Yeah. You know, and so it, it's kind of like new energy breeds energy. So we we were able to get a really four or five key positions filled with new energy. That, that got us all excited again, too. Well, and for people who don't like procedure, I can honestly, by nature, I'm not a fan of it, just yeah. by nature, right? What I learned, you know, when you get 40 or 50 employees, if I sent out a memo and I said, everybody go buy blue paint, we're going to paint the building tomorrow, they all would. They would go get paint and they would yeah. show up. But if there's no policy or procedure clarifying which specific paint, the whole thing's going to look like garbage, exactly. even though everybody yeah. tried. Yeah. Everybody right. was trying. It was my failure because I didn't have the organization around it. So people are like, oh, well, you know, this company's changed. It used to be yeah. more grassroots or family oriented. Right. You go, no, 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 it is. We just want to be able to execute with better specificity so we don't look like this thing was thrown together by a committee. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things we tried to do, and I, I think is important, is for everyone to understand what their the job they do daily, what it means for the organization. So, and I don't mean this in a slight, but you take our distribution center, right? And a lot of people look down on that. Oh, you're just out in the warehouse box and boxes, whatever. What do you guys send? Like when you have distribution, what sort of things are you distributing? Oh, everything from member benefits, um, retail, premiums, banquets. retail, and but a lot of it has to do with our chapter fundraising system. So 
Uh, very so you guys are sending things for like, yeah. dry uh, or silent auction items, yeah, things like auction, that. Yeah. Silent auction, raffle items, a lot of firearms. Um, we house and distribute out of Missoula. Not a yeah. bad guy to have a history with if you guys yeah. are going to be right. a part of yeah. the firearm yeah, and all industry. that banking world. But you know, I I go out there and talk to them, and and I we were having not an issue, but timing. Right, timing's important. You sign up for the Elk Foundation. If we don't send you your packet for three months, that's that's not a good start. Right. So. You go out there and you sit with them and, and you talk to them about, let me show you how important what you're doing it is. When it shows up in two and a half or three weeks, that sets the tone. Right. And they kind of go, oh, yeah. Oh, it's then, a cultural thing. Yeah, Got right. it. Yeah. And I remember going out and I'd walk out there and everybody would be real quiet, not much going on. i go, you guys scare me. I'm like, what? I was like, is this a downtime? I said, because when, if I want to see how good this organization is doing, if you this guys is are busy, I, should be able I feel to good. The pulse, yeah. When it's quiet out here, not. So it's just that little things of saying everything we do leads your job feeds to the next person, feeds to the next person. How do you get how do you get buy-in from people if that's not clear? It's patience. It's a yeah. lot of patience, and yeah, I, I tell this story too. I don't remember a lot in college. I wasn't the greatest student in the world, but I had a professor that long story. But he he said if you remember, don't remember anything but this. He's like, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and don't mess with Mister In Between, right? He said just take that to management, and if yeah. you can do it, sounds. A lot harder than it sounds. And this guy built big corporations in his career. Sure. Great, great professor. Um, and, but it is. You talked about it. You, if there's cancerous stuff there, you've got to make change. That's what you right. get paid to do. Right. But you also, I think we get in the habit of treating everybody the same. And we don't do that now. Yeah, and that turns into the U.S. educational system. It is. Well, <laughs> and so you get out, if you just get out of people's way and you put the right systems and, and accountability and structure that you need. But I kind of draw a line and say, here, you got to follow all of this. This yeah. is where you got to be here. Over here, you can do whatever. You get yeah, very clear no want. goes. Yeah, but right. then from there, yeah. because otherwise you're Go creating robots. Right. And, yeah. You know, the yeah. organization suffers. If somebody doesn't have the ability to be their kind of weird, you're, you're going to get stale. Yeah. You know, and so to and your point. They, they to have plenty point, of room to, to yeah. do what they need to do, but we got to have consistency. we got to have the same color blue paint yeah. in all these areas if we're going to move forward. The bigger step of that is, I think, one of the number one jobs, you know, Steve and I control a lot of the money there, is the fiduciary responsibility to that member. Yeah. You know, you're, you're an investor. You, you send us $35 a year. My job is to make sure we spent that to the best we could to deliver that mission. Well, if you don't have structure, you don't have discipline, money gets wasted. Yeah. Um, and... Well, being in a nonprofit, you guys don't get to hide money, right? right? Like, it's all out there. So if you're doing a bad job, it's not like you can BS your way through it. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, it's going to go out on your yearly reports. And so mistakes are always made in glass houses with a, with a nonprofit. And more and more as you started it in today's world, and the reason I say that the, the elk is even more and more of the result, people, is, people are, what's in it for me? How does it affect me? Yeah. You know, the older generation was much more about the good. Right. And, and it's not, they're both the same. They just look at it differently. Yeah, we, we've seen our member expectations change over time. Land protection and access is always ranked as the most important Absolutely. thing that comes back Absolutely. from our members. In the recent years, advocacy has equaled access and land protection. So our members' expectation for us to represent them and their voices and issues that are coming up has been greater and greater. So we've had to develop a which is more individual driven than corp, uh, uh, the community driven, right? Right. Like yeah, what it, they want specifically yeah. for their $35. Right. Is, and, I mean, we see initiatives in states now. We, we're dealing with one in Colorado on 
um, turning uh, mountain lion hunting into trophy hunting and essentially a backdoor way to try to eliminate it. There's one in Oregon that is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It would be illegal to step on a spider. Um, so let alone hunting or ranching or farming or any of the lifestyles that we all know and embrace. How do they, how do they produce kale? How would they produce their kale? It is a rare thing to have the unbeatable guys in the same room for all that we talk. Jason, Brian, the masterminds behind Unbeatable Feeds. Greetings. Howdy, howdy. Did you see this going this way a year ago? Not at all. A year ago, nobody had ever heard of Midwest Agri Commodities. We rebranded Unbeatable. It's amazing now everybody's heard of Unbeatable. Uh, booth traffic, folks coming by saying, hey, started my horse on this. I can't believe the, the results. It's amazing what a, what a year makes. Jason, what are you hearing from the guys that you've rodeoed with about the results they're seeing from all three of your products? Oh, it's very positive. Uh, it's funny, last year, like Brian said, you couldn't hardly get anybody to look at you. I mean, we sound like a tractor dealership or something, Midwest <laughs> Ag Commodities, which we're not, you know. And by rebranding and being on your podcast, social media, getting the word out there, people are trying it without... I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I got guys coming up to me that have been old friends for 15, 20 years and like, hey, man, I started feeding that beet pulp and that's just amazing what it does. And then guys feeding their rope. The new, the new, hottest thing going right at the moment besides our the blend product, the alfalfa blend, is the people starting to feed their rope and steers. Yep, and Their breakaway calves and their rope roping calves just straight beet pulp pellets. It is the fountain of youth for older roping steers. The, yeah, the results you see from it are just, it's ama its truly amazing. Well, I never branched my whole life and, and never even crossed my mind. So I'll say this, you look at the video that Ren put out about his roping steers, you don't, it's cool, it's cool, right? But you, do, you don't do what you guys have done in a year if you're not getting the results when people try it. And so there's a science behind it. We know it's the fiber. We know the work that you guys put in to create a product that does what it says it's going to do. Congratulations. If somebody wants to go look at the science of the Unbeatable, we've got old episodes with all the details, but uh, just want to say shout out real quick. Check it out. Unbeatable Feeds. Uh, got, the, got the pro team out here having a good week. Thank you guys for jumping on. You guys can check them out at www.unbeatablefeeds.com. We live in one of the hottest real estate markets in the Western industry here in Wickenburg. It can be confusing. I know that people from out of town go, okay, where does everything happen? What's in the middle of things? What's the dark side of the moon? Let me tell you, Erin Freeman, she's not only a friend, she is an absolute professional in the real estate industry. You can find her at Erin Freeman Properties on Facebook. You can check her out at erinfreeman.realtor on Instagram and TikTok. Here's what I like about Erin. She is from a team roping family. She understands that when you call and say you're looking for arena, you don't mean a riding pin. When you say I'm looking for something with stalls, it doesn't mean four panels chained together. She understands the industry, but she also understands the, the, the lifestyle. One of the things I'll say about Erin, like I said, not only is she great, I don't know if she'd want me saying this, she also kind of keeps her finger on the rental industry too. So if you're looking for a rental, maybe not officially, but I can tell you she knows where it's at. She's also brutally honest. She will tell you exactly what's happening in the industry. If you're too high, if you're too low, if what you're looking for is achievable, if she has in her inventory what you're looking for, you will get an honest assessment from somebody who not only understands what you're looking for, but where to find it. Check her out, Aaron Freeman. How do they produce kale? How would they produce their kale or their imagined <laughs> beef without killing spiders? Because yeah, you're know. still, the, the biodiversity yeah. in those pastures where they're farming for this offshoot that's not meat, if you can't kill yeah. a spider, you starve. Yeah, right. Starf. My saying is this: you can't make sense of something that doesn't make sense, and that's what it is. You, you can try all day; it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't mean they're not trying. It's it's this fight against the lifestyle. 
Yeah. And that a lot of our success in this Western lifestyle we talk about, I don't know, we call it rural sometimes. It's it, a rural lifestyle. It, it's it you know it's it's that main group in the middle. We're isn't all it, there. Isn't it strange? You know, it's Orwellian in a sense that when you hear a bull bugling and the the feeling that you get from that or the feeling you never leave, that sound represents a yeah. cultural issue that you yeah. would think would never be related. You would think there'd be no connection, but you don't manage it. That bull elk is actually being eliminated by bad policies from people who are claiming the hypocrisy. And I, all of a sudden you get drug into a political issue. And I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of apolitical. To be honest, I'm yeah. apolitical. Yeah. I'm against insanity. And I think there are times where people will embrace the sanity because that's their buy-in to their tribe. They right. feel like they're the safest. Nobody wants to be exposed. You know, if we right. fall under an attack, I want to make sure that I'm the most safe. So I'm going to be the loudest, most outspoken version of my party, right or left. Yeah. In an attempt because... Soapbox here for a second. Yeah. If we're not contributing anything, if we don't contribute anything to society, we are a liability in our, in our sure. evolutionary brain. Right. And so when people are living in a position in life where they're not able to contribute to their tribe, they feel exposed. Yep. When they feel exposed, they have to ingratiate themselves to the tribe somehow. And I feel like what has taken over is loudest, most extreme. Sure. You know, in a sense, there's almost a sense of, um, there's almost a sympathy that goes with that of like, man, hey, just hey, take a deep breath. If you could find a way to contribute, it would let you sit kind of somewhere here in the middle and not be so militant. Right. Yeah. And that's on that's on both sides, and that's a battle that they will make you guys, the them, to ingratiate themselves to the us. Right. How do you guys survive? I guess that's yeah. my question. Well, is, I mean, we we made you know, we have position statements as an organization. This is what we believe, and this is where we stand. But some of the changes I brought too was is we talked a lot when I came in about being bipartisan, and I was like, we need to be nonpartisan. Yeah. And right. 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 It is a very different yeah. approach, and so we've yeah, worked anti- hard to do that. How is that different than anti-partisan? Because I think maybe yeah, that's right. what I am. I'm just yeah. over it. Yeah. And yeah. it's you know we we fight for these positions that represent our demographic. Period. Yeah. And and it that's what I think somewhat segments us is because our position statements aren't eight paragraphs long. They're two sentences. Yeah, They're good. very clear. Simple's and hard, makes, too. Yeah. When you try to get it to two sentences, that's a challenge. That's not easy to do. No, no. And it's it's something we have to work on all the time to to, to keep that way. But it, it makes our demographic look at it. Our goal in that is they, oh, I know where they stand. And that's that's all that matters. There's no well, question. And good on you guys that somebody would be interested in elk hunting, would be interested in this conservation approach. But if y'all's foundation said, and we are like right-leaning conservative values, and that person's like, well, that's not who I am. Now they're out, and you've lost a yeah. potential uh, advocate. Yeah. And instead, it's if this is what's important to you, that's what we're about, no yeah. matter your affiliation. Good on you guys for having the forethought to do it. Yeah, we're we're guided by common sense. Yeah. And oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's it's hard. It's like a superpower. <laughs> that is a superpower. Yeah. Like, but. It is every all these extreme positions. To your point, on both sides, it's emotionally charged. All common sense. What I see in in politics across the board today is exactly how you described it, and it's a complete abandonment of common sense. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like everyone's trying to outdo the other with how outrageous of an idea they can come up with. When most of our country wants to live their lives, raise their families, go to work, go to church, and enjoy life. But we are distracted by all of this stuff that's going on. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's a kind of behind this conserving country thing that we're launching here. Soft launch, but it, it really just comes down to common sense. Yeah. We respect the flag. 
Um, we work to protect landscapes, not only for elk, but for people to enjoy, to get away from the insanity that is all around us. Yeah, the healing, the, the healing type stuff that takes place 100%. out there. So your average person would say, man, I, I've heard about elk hunting. It's something I would like to get into. I've never done it. Where do I even start? What's the on-ramp to becoming an elk hunter? I would say Outdoor Class is a project that we have. It's yeah. an online learning platform. What's it called? Has, it's called Outdoor Class. Just go to outdoorclass.com. Um, there's, like, if you want to get, you know, take a Kyle technical learning approach to it, which I think a lot of people do. Unfortunately, as an industry on the hunting side, we've made many barriers to entry to hunting from the different camos and calibers and all of the, if you're not living in the every sure. day, yeah. it's a little bit intimidating if you've never done it before. Kier- so, Kierkegaard said that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom, right. which means <laughs> when there's too many options, you find yourself not going yeah. anywhere. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're working to break down some of those barriers to entry by just providing information to make people feel confident in their approach to it. And, and you know, providing good learning resources that they can go back to again and again. Listen, I've hunted those things my entire life, essentially. It's like golf. You'll never perfect it. You yeah. can always get a little, and I'm nowhere near, but I learn something every time. Sure. So that, it's such a smart animal. Yeah, you just get in it, and do it. The evolution of its brain and how it thinks and uh, onto our actions, that you know, the more pressure we put on them, the more they change. The more imbalance well, we have in the ecology, the more they adapt and change. And you just said it. As it's becoming more popular, they get hunted more often. Right. When they get hunted more often, they get harder to hunt. The harder they get to hunt, that I mean, yeah. They, kudos to them. Right. Yeah, you know, like exactly. A, like yeah. an antelope, for generations, you can hang up a flag and they walk up to it. Right. Like yeah. the elk, for them to be able to navigate that, how yeah. could you not love them as an animal? Oh, right? yeah, they, they learn fast. I mean, I think people appreciate I, I, I killed an elk this year. And I, I think I said, you were filming on the end. I was like, I wish you could jump up and we go play the game again, right? Yeah. I mean, you really yeah, do because yeah, yeah. they are so smart. And they well, in the great. same way, like, people are yeah. like, man, I love cows or I love horses. It's weird because it's an animal that you're hunting. Yeah. But the people that I know that are elk hunters, they talk about elk with that same sort of reverence. Yeah. You know, and in the end, cattle, it's the same thing. They meet the same end just in a different uh, avenue. But and, and the hard part with elk is, you know, you, you only, I don't know how many states we hunted in them, 20 or whatever it is, that actually have seasons. And when you get out of that, there's like a main 14. Well, if you're a non-resident of one of those states, it's a whole different ball game to get access. Sure. And and that, you know, that's that's part of some of our challenges moving forward is, you, you know, you got a, a lot of, of uh, issues around elk management. Every state manages it different. Everyone has its own challenges, all those things. And as an organization, our demographic is, I need you doing this for me. I need you that. Yeah. Doing it. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, that's not how we work per se, but it, that's where the position statements and who we are and what we are capable of doing come into play. Well, and that's clear, too. It gives you something to go back to because it doesn't feel like an opinion. Yeah. If somebody asks and you don't have that written down, it just feels like you're being rude. Yeah. But if it's written down, you go, actually, we, you know, we hold ourselves to this. I don't know if this is something I would be interested in doing myself, but it's just as an idea. If somebody said, you know, I don't necessarily want to be an elk hunter, but, man, I would love to get out there and experience that moment you guys just talked about where I would just like someone to take me up there. Because if somebody just goes traipsing around the woods, elk become Bigfoot, right? right. You're yeah. never going to see one. Yeah. Is there, a, is there an avenue by which people that go, I'm not really a hunter, I can't get the tags, I don't have the money or whatever, but I would love to sit up there and experience that same kind of moment. Is there an introduction yeah. to the animals like that? I don't know. I can tell you a lot of friends, and Steve has them too, say your buddy draws a tag. 
that'll go with. You go, man, I'd love to go with you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'll help you pack him out. They just want to be part of the experience. Right. That happens. Every person that draws a tag, their buddy's willing to go with them that didn't. So it's still still somewhat of a buy-in of like having a friend that got a tag. Yeah. But your average, you know, the person that's never been a part of it, I'm asking a question I feel like it doesn't have an answer. This isn't, I don't mean this to be a setup, but I wonder if there wouldn't be a day someday where somebody goes, man, I just... You know how they do like safaris? Yeah, They're right. like non-shooting yeah. safaris. Because how do you explain that elk experience to somebody? You can't. It's caught, not taught. You can't it, teach it. it. They've yeah, got experience. It's, it's, it's probably much more of a one-on-one mentorship where you got a buddy that, that yeah. is doing it and you, you go along. And depending on what that hunt is, I mean, you can if you do a 20-mule pack-in versus out of the hotel i mean there's there's a big variances in what that yeah, maybe don't like. just like take off in the woods yeah uh, maybe yeah, don't do that because that you can look like. a lot like an elk in the wrong situation you'll right. make sure oh, you're yeah. in your safety yeah. stuff well you and you make a lot of hunters mad too oh yeah yeah, yeah i mean there's outfitted opportunities you can always we have outfitters here at the yeah. expo um or just get online and start googling elk outfitters and and drill down i know there's some that run summer operations as well where you can go fishing you'd still be in elk country you'd have knowledgeable people around you yeah to learn yeah, more yeah, about stuff like it that. so yeah. there's there a go. lot of ways to get exposure to it you know i i would say go drive through yellowstone that was kyle's comment earlier that's certainly an opportunity yeah. to see elk um you're gonna in the recent years you're gonna be competing Park, with a lot of other people going through yeah. yellowstone but if you, um, but if you go to Estes Park, Colorado yeah. during the rodeo, yeah. you can get both. You can go through yeah. the PRCA rodeo, and there are elk walking through Estes Park yeah. everywhere. Yeah, I mean, Wyoming, yeah. the refuge down there is tons of elk. And, and the other thing is a lot of outfitters do have a non-hunter fee. There you go. So so see, there is this. Look oh, at this. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah, there, there, yeah. East, if you're yeah. around Pennsylvania, that Benazette country, they have overlooks in a visitor center and viewing places there. That Kentucky elk herd is growing. There's viewing opportunities there. Virginia, North West Carolina. Virginia. Like, they're now across the country, and a lot of those places in the east they've actually developed opportunities just for elk viewing um so i mean i, there you I think there's so there a lot of resources there's with state yep. agencies and google and other things last question i know you guys got a heart yeah. out here but uh if someone had a million dollars cash and they're like i want to go shoot the biggest elk i know that there's probably waiting lists and things like that but where right now where would you estimate the largest elk in the U.S. today? Walking out, eating grass this morning, where would you guess that he exists? We don't have time to cover all that. Yeah. We can get into a, ba- data, a debate <laughs> about it, too. Oh, there, there's a, I didn't, is that a controversial question? Uh, no, no, no. A lot no. of different opinion. If you look at where the records are coming from in recent years, there's some stuff in eastern Montana that I'll put up against anywhere in the country. But the million-dollar guy, I guess, if that were me, which I'm, I'm about a million short of that, um, the White Mountain Apache Reservation hunting in Arizona is iconic yeah. for really the high, high-level experience of elk hunting. Um, what does you, a hunt right there cost? Uh, you'd be 25000 with trophy fees and everything. Uh, UU Bar, New Mexico um, is another express UU Bar ranches we've worked with for a long time. That's a really great opportunity for a big bull. Um, and there's southern Colorado. There's a handful down there. That, kind of that West Cliff circle yeah, or other. Yeah. Yep. And there's a lot of coveted tags that come out where you can yeah. go to auctions and buy, which there's different feel of feelings about that. But in the yeah. end, that money goes back on the ground to these state agencies. A lot of money's raised that way. And yeah. It yeah. seems like a trophy hunt. Positive for the deal. industry. That right. Pennsylvania but, thing is interesting, too, is as that herd has grown, there's been some really big, big incredible yeah. bulls come yeah. off of that. 
You got to figure. When like, you say big, give me an idea what size. I mean, was. I'm going 420, 430. What? Out of Pennsylvania? Yeah. yeah like the, yeah, I think some are even getting to the 450, 460. Pennsylvania has there. some non-typical yeah. stuff that's yeah. touched 440, I think. Yeah. No um, kidding. And then, hey, you'll back me up if I'm wrong, but that doesn't get to that size without specific conservation work to give that animal the opportunity like, to grow. Yeah. Part of it is some of it's been the reintroduction and the kind of the revitalization of those herds, but there's genetics that play in for sure. And they've always had good genetics up there. Um, there's minerals and other things within soil. So that's where the whole Arizona thing goes back to the Merriam's subspecies of elk that went away and they brought Rocky Mountain in. Some people claim they're still Merriam's. I think it has a lot to do with minerals down there, yeah. but um, Arizona's a stout state for sure for, for big bull hunting, New Mexico. Really, anymore, Utah has some incredible yeah. bulls. So this is where we go. Yeah, yeah. Going, no, that's good. I like that. Going, there's going, there's going, a lot going. of places you can you can hit that 400 inch marking up now, which yeah. is kind of the big marker. Awesome, guys. I can't tell you thank you enough. Yeah, thank you. Real quick, where do they find the thing? The, the soft launch? Are you guys more, want to wait and do they this go, a year from now? And, no. no, no. They can go conservingcountry.com. The land on they can land on our web our web page as well, rmef.org, if they want to learn more about that specific. And, RMF.org, they can learn all about us. Yep. So, or come to the booth at the expo here. If so to be by this time park. next year, there's going to be a lot more to talk about that's yes. just kind of starting to blossom right now that yeah, getting ready to take off. Yeah, for awesome. sure. Yeah. Guys, thank you all so much. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, George.